Shalom, and welcome to Parasha Highlights and Insights. This is Rabbi Abraham Fisher, and this week we have the honor of starting a new Sefer in the Torah, uh, Sefer Vayikra, which is also, of course, the name of the Parashat, Parashat Vayikra. Few words about the about the Sefer. The uh, Sefer has many, many mitzvot. Vayikra is uh, concentrated with mitzvot, and the majority of the book of Vayikra is on the subject of the Mishkan and its functioning, and that will include sacrifices, uh, the Leviim, including the functions of the Leviim, the Kohanim, uh, and in a, in a general sense the whole notion of Kiddushah, of sanctity. Uh, what, are expect, what is expected of uh, the people of Israel in terms of sanctity at the various uh, levels, everybody else, sanctity of the Leviim, sanctity of the Kohanim, uh, how to make uh, Am Yisrael a Goy Kadosh, a holy nation. When we focus on Parashat Vayikra, uh, uh, we, uh, we find that the majority of the parasha really deals with sacrifices. Uh, there are uh, 11 positive mitzvot and 5 negative mitzvot in this uh, parasha. And uh, the sacrifices that we'll talk about, majority of them, not all of them, but the majority of them, are sacrifices that are offered voluntarily when a person uh, decides to uh, offer a sacrifice to Hashem uh, and how that is done. At the beginning of the parasha, Hashem calls to Moshe, who uh, it would seem is standing outside of the uh, Ohel Moed, the tent of meeting. That's where we, as it were, left Moshe at the end of last week's parasha, at the end of Sefer Shemot. And now Hashem summons him in in order to teach him these uh, mitzvot. In looking at uh, the parasha, as I said, the majority of it has to do with sacrifices, uh, and we learn all sorts of details about the sacrifices, and uh, many of the sacrifices that we're going to talk about are uh, voluntary. In In a broad sense, we can say that the parasha is divided into five uh, parts. In the first part, we learn about uh, a sacrifice called an ola, a burnt offering. Uh, Hashem uh, teaches Moshe one kind of sacrifice, and this may be done voluntarily. A person may uh, volunteer, may make a neder, may make a commitment to bring such a sacrifice. Uh, and we said in a general sense, that the kind of animals that are suitable for this sacrifice are either from the cattle, from the flock, or from birds. To be more specific, um, ola of cattle, uh, that is to say a cow, uh, it must be an unblemished male. Uh, before the animal is uh, slaughtered, uh, the owner uh, of this ola leans his, he- his hands on the head of the animal, this is called semicha, uh, he, he leans his weight onto the head of the animal, and in a sense, he is 
uh, not just designating the animal, but to transferring uh, whatever he may feel he is uh, duty bound to bring the sacrifice. He brings that, uh, he transfers that to the uh, to the animal. When the animal is slaughtered, the blood is collected and it is uh, sprinkled on the horns of the altar uh, in, a, in a manner that is called two, which is four. In other words, uh, the Kohen will stand at one corner and sprinkle it in such a way that it hits two sides of the altar. The animal is skinned and that skin is going to belong to the Kohanim. Then uh, the animal is cut into pieces and then it is offered uh, as an offering, but it is washed uh, first before it is uh, offered on the uh, on the altar on the mizbeach. Then we deal with uh, the kind of ola that comes from the flock. In other words, from a sheep or a goat, it must be an unblemished male, and the same procedure as the procedure for cattle. Then we have the ola of birds. Uh, the birds in question or either a turtle dove or a young pigeon. Uh, when a bird is offered as a sacrifice, uh, it is not uh, slaughtered using shechita, which is from the front, but rather milika, uh, which is nipping off the head. And actually what is done is that the uh, kohen uh, inserts his fingernail from the back of the bird uh, in order to slaughter it from behind. And then the blood is squeezed onto the side of the altar. Uh, the crop, which is a part of the digestive system, uh, which uh, takes various types of food, that crop is removed and discarded, and then the, the bird itself is split and offered. So these are different kinds of ola. Next, we move into the subject of grain offerings. The general term for grain offering is mincha. Uh, and there are uh, a number of different kinds of grain offerings that the Torah uh, talks about. Uh, one way in which it may be offered is in the form of fine flour. Uh, this flour is combined with oil and incense, and then a handful called a kemitzah, is uh, taken and that handful is offered and then the rest uh, is eaten by the Kohanim. That's a mincha in the form of flour. Then there is a mincha in the form of a baked offering, which could be either in the form of loaves or in the form of a flat uh, baked cake uh, and oil is part of it as well. Then there's a mincha that is in the form of a pan-fried offering. It's uh, not baked, but rather it is fried in a pan. It is uh, combined with oil, and it is broken into pieces uh, as it is uh, offered. Then another kind of mincha is deep-fried, and uh, it is also combined with oil. The Torah talks about some general rules involving uh, these sacrifices. Uh, one is that there is no chametz to be offered uh, at any time, no leavened uh, grain. Um, the uh, the only exception to that is on Shavuot, two loaves are presented, but they are not offered on the altar. 
And another general rule that the Torah points out is that all sacrifices require uh, salt. This is an important uh, component of uh, all of the uh, offerings. Uh, Salt, which symbolizes uh, preservation, and therefore it's connected to the idea of something that being long-lasting. Finally, uh, in this discussion about Mincha, we talk about the first grain offering at the beginning of the harvest season, and that's the Omer, which is uh, cut on the second night of Pesach, and then offered on the first, uh, on the second day of Pesach. And that's the beginning of the counting of the Omer, but that's not what is discussed here. This is an example here where the Torah talks about a specific, uh, and this is not voluntary, this is obligatory, it's obligatory on the community to bring this, um, this offering uh, at uh, that time of the year, at the Pesach time of the year. The third section of the parasha talks about a kind of sacrifice called Shlamim, which might be called a peace offering. Shlamim from the word Shalom. Uh, shlamim uh, can either be of cattle or of the flock. If it's shlami, if it's of cattle, then it might be an unblemished male or female. Once again, semicha, uh, resting of one's weight uh, on one's hands onto the head of the animal. That is done. Uh, the blood is sprinkled. And similarly, there's an offering of the fats and so on on the altar. Uh, Unlike the Ola, where the entire animal is uh, burned with the exception of the skin, in the case of the Shlamim, the fats and uh, certain organs are uh, are offered, uh, but uh, the rest uh, is uh, is eaten. The reason why it's called Shlamim is because it makes peace between different segments uh, of, uh, of Israel. It is to be eaten by the, uh, by partially, partially eaten by the Kohanim, part of it is offered on the altar, and part of it is to be eaten by the owner, and he may invite uh, anybody uh, to, uh, to join with him. And this makes peace. If the Shalomim comes from the flock, once again, unblemished male or female, um, it requires Semicha and all of the other uh, procedures. Uh, it may be of a sheep or of a goat. If it's a sheep, uh, then uh, there's a, a special additional thing to take into account, and that is the aliyah, the fat tail, uh, which is at the back of the of the sheep, and that is also uh, offered. In the midst of this, uh, talking about sacrifices, we're reminded uh, that in general, not only in terms of sacrifices, but in general, that we are not to eat uh, forbidden fat uh, or uh, blood. Uh, there are certain fats that are permissible to uh, to eat. Um, but there are uh, there are fats that are not uh, permitted. Though for the forbidden fat is called chelev. Uh, and that is not to be eaten. Um, and, of course, not to eat any blood. And this is uh, just a reminder in general, uh, because uh, these are the parts of the animal that are offered on the altar, and not for human beings to eat, uh, not for Jews to eat, but rather to, um, to, be, to be removed. 
Getting back to the subject of sacrifices, the Torah now uh, deals with a type of sacrifice which is obligatory, uh, called uh, chatat, a sin offering. That is uh, an offering that is made by someone who has committed uh, a sin. Uh, we, uh, we learn that these are for serious sins, serious, that is to say, that had they been done intentionally, uh, would carry with them the death penalty, uh, generally speaking. But these sins were committed unintentionally, inadvertently, what's called bishogeg. Uh, if a sin is done intentionally, then a sacrifice uh, would be an affront uh, to, to try to, as it were, bribe God. Uh, but this is for a sin that was done, uh, was committed inadvertently. Uh, now, when it comes to the chatat, there is a difference depending on who needs to bring the chatat. First, the Torah talks about the sin offering of the Kohen Gadol. Kohen Gadol needs to bring such a sacrifice, so his sacrifice is an unblemished bull. He does semicha, as we talked about before. The blood is sprinkled towards the parochet, uh, that's the curtain that separates the holy area from the holy of holies, and also sprinkled on the horns of the incense altar, which is very uh, special. Uh, and the fats and so on are offered on the altar, and the rest is burned, but not on the altar, outside in a place of ashes, in a place where uh, things are generally burned. The second uh, one who might have to bring a chatat is a sin offering of the community. And what that entails is a court error. If the court makes a mistake, and on the basis of that mistake, the people follow the ruling, uh, only under certain circumstances, but then the court must bring this special sacrifice in order to atone for the mistake that they made, which caused others to sin. Uh, this sacrifice is also an unblemished bull, similar to Kohen Gadol. Once again, there is smicha. The blood is also sprinkled toward the parochet and on the horns of the incense altar, very similar to the Kohen Gadol. The fats uh, are offered on the altar, and the rest is burned in the place of ashes. Basically, it's, uh, it's the same as the sacrifice brought by the, uh, by the Kohen Gadol. The next person who might need to bring a a chatat is a king. The king uh, makes a mistake, uh, commits an inadvertent sin, so his sacrifice is an unblemished male goat. He does smicha, blood sprinkled on the altar, and the fats are offered. These are offered on the altar. Then the Torah uh, proceeds to talking about the sin offering of the individual, a chatat of the individual. Uh, a regular individual, not a king, not a Kohen Gadol, just a regular individual. Uh, such a an individual must bring the sacrifice of an unblemished female goat. Uh, he does smicha, sprinkles the blood on the altar, and offers the fats. Uh, or it could be an unblemished female sheep. Procedure is basically the same. Smicha, blood on the altar, and the fats are uh, offered. Uh, then the Torah talks about uh, another kind of sacrifice that's brought for sin called an asham, uh, a guilt offering. 
and uh, one kind of asham is uh, is called adjustable, as I will explain. Uh, but it's for certain specific sins. Uh, those sins are withholding testimony, and it's found out, uh, for violating the sanctuary while tamay, but one was not aware that one was tamay, uh, that one had become ritually impure, or for violating a, an oath that had been forgotten. So for these specific sins, the uh, sacrifice of the asham is brought, the sin is to be confessed, and the reason why we call it adjustable is that it depends on what the uh, person can afford. If a person is wealthy, then the sacrifice is in the form of an unblemished female sheep or goat. If a person is poor, uh, then uh, he brings two turtle doves or pigeons, and uh, one is as a sin offering and one is as a burnt offering. And if a person is very poor, then he brings wheat flour as an offering. This is the asham for those specific sins. Um, then there are some other guilt offerings, uh, other asham, uh, for, speci- for other specific sins. Uh, one, it might be the inadvertent misappropriation of sacred uh, items. If a person was unaware that something was uh, kadosh and he used it without realizing, then he has to bring a uh, a special sacrifice uh, of an unblemished ram. He has to make restitution and he must add one-fifth. Uh, by the way, on the subject of the one-fifth, the way one-fifth is calculated is not based on the principle, but it's called uh, uh, milivar from the outside. What that means is uh, it is that uh, Fraction that when added to the principle becomes one-fifth. So in reality, it's one-quarter of the, of the principle. So in other words, if uh, the misappropriation uh, was in the form of, let's say, $100, uh, then one would add 25 to it. When you add 25 to 100, you have 125, and the 25 that you added is one-fifth of the total. That's why it's called one-fifth. So that's restitution plus one-fifth. There is a kind of fixed guilt offering for a doubtful guilt. In other words, there's a doubt whether a person committed a certain serious sin. If he was certain of it, then he would bring a a chatat. But here, there is a doubt. In that case, uh, he brings an unblemished ram. And uh, the final example is uh, certain cases of dishonesty, such as uh, false oath denying a loan, or robbery, uh, once again, uh, one makes restitution at plus one-fifth, and the sacrifice is in the form of an unblemished ram. Let's go back to the uh, case where the Torah talks about a king uh, who, uh, who sins. Uh, first of all, the Torah does not use the term melech. It uses a, a a more uh, broad-based term, the word nasi, somebody who's in charge, someone who's a chieftain, which could include a king, but there are other uh, leading people uh, who might fall under this designation. But what's uh, special is uh, the way that this section is uh, is begun. Because when it comes to all other uh, sin offerings, uh, 
<coughs> the Torah uses the word im, which is if. But when it comes to the, uh, let's call him the king, uh, it doesn't say im, it says asher, that. Uh, in the case of, so the Torah says that if he does a sin, uh, by, uh, by violating one of the mitzvot, um, and he is in violation unintentionally, uh, and then the Torah proceeds to say what kind of sacrifice he brings. But the commentaries focus on this uh, departure, uh, instead of using the word im, if, using the word asher, which roughly translates as that. So Rashi uh, say, interprets the word asher not only according to its literal meaning, in the case of, uh, but he also uh, makes us realize that the word asher resembles the word ashrei, which is uh, happy or fortunate. And the uh, conclusion is that uh, the generation in which the king admits, in which the le- leader admits that he's done something wrong and needs to atone for it, that is a fortunate generation. A generation is fortunate if its leaders are willing to uh, admit and prepared to admit and take responsibility for mistakes they have made. The Sepharno, uh talks about the word asher in a more literal sense. Uh, he says that whereas other people, whether it's the Kohen Gadol or the court or even an individual, whether or not that person sins is really a case of im, if. Maybe they will, maybe they won't. But when a person is in a position of a king, a, person, a position of authority and a very high responsibility, it's basically unavoidable uh, that some sins will be done uh, unintentionally. It's a very common thing. So, Asher Nasi Yechata, the Sepharna wants you to understand it as not if he sins, but when he sins, because it's almost unavoidable. Uh, and he cites the Pasuk, Vayishman Yishurun Vayivat, uh, when Yishurun, which is a poetic name for, uh, for the Jewish people, become uh, fat, meaning become settled, uh, uh, autonomous, uh, then they kick. There's bound to be some kind of uh, sin that takes place. Uh, so it's uh, virtually unavoidable for a person in a position of leadership to sin. What's important uh, is not that the leader be perfect. Nobody's perfect. And a person in a position of authority has even more temptations than the average person. Uh, what's important is that uh, if such a thing takes place, or maybe according to the Sopharno, when such a thing takes place, it is, it is very, very important that the leader uh, admits that he's done wrong and needs to make uh, amends for that. And to circle back to Rashi, uh, when that happens, then the generation is truly fortunate to have such leaders uh, at the helm. I thank you very much for uh, joining me for this exploration of the uh, parasha and the beginning of the book of Vayikra. This has been Rabbi Abraham Fisher for Parasha Highlights and Insights saying Shalom. Shalom.